everyone. Good to see you once again. Good to be home. Uh, there's nothing like being back in your own house and not being on the road so much. Was anybody else here at Land Between the Lakes besides Jeff and me and Wynn? I don't believe so. I, I really was trying to think if anybody else showed up up there, but I don't think so. Wynn was only there for a day or so, and then Jeff was there for the, the first half, and, um, and he went to Florida after that. Festival travels. Everybody's glad to be back. Everybody's glad to be home. Uh, bring you greetings from Collingwood, Ontario, which was about close to 100 miles north of Toronto. We had 163 people up there, uh, low 40s during the night and maybe 60 during the day. Very, very pleasant. Um, and then about 304 in Kentucky, land between the lakes. It was a nice group there, but it heated up on us there a little bit. Uh, a lot of a lot of things, you know, to, to tell you about, a lot of things that you could you could hear. But uh, Skip Martin will be here November 3rd, so I'm sure he'll fill you in real well on that. Um, he's got a bunch of the statistics and everything of what took place. A lot of different groups together. I, I, of all the things, I there were up in Collingwood, Ontario, there were a family of 10 from United that were up there. And then there was a young couple from Pennsylvania that came up there once uh, Myrtle Beach was canceled. So uh, it was really interesting to, and then some independent people, as well as in Land Between the Lakes, we had CGI, CEM, United, uh, several independent groups, and um, and then several ministers, a couple ministers from uh, United that were there that spoke. So uh, very good turnout, very good feast. I uh, hope all of you had good travels, good health, without any you know particular problems. Traveling can wear you out, as you well know. It's... it's um, it's not easy to get where you're going sometimes. Uh, I was deciding what kind of a topic to talk about today. You've heard about everything you can hear the last week. So, you know, when you you know come up and give the, the next sermon after the Feast of Tabernacles, it's kind of a, it's a tough act to follow. And I was, was working on my sermon in the uh, airport or at, at Nashville at a hotel Monday night. And... Uh, Kind of had it all down as to what I was going to give, and I went to turn the light off about 8.30, and the fire alarm went off, you know, evacuate, emergency, you know, so, <clears throat> you know, you, you get enough clothes on where you can go outside, and you take off down the hallway, and, um, you know, nine fire trucks showed up. Uh, still nobody knew what was going on, but we were outside for about 30 minutes, and I thought, well, I wonder if it was a topic I'd pick to give a sermon on, you know. But just the minute I turned that light off is when this, this thing went off. And uh, the way I am, I always plan ahead. I, like, I don't like surprises, so I just had this feeling that this was going to happen again during the night. So I had my clothes on the chair. I had my wallet, my passport, and everything together so I didn't have to look for it. And 11.40, it happened again. So such is traveling. You know, one of the things I saw <clears throat> this year at the feast, I try to get an overview of everything to see what's happening and what's going on and the uh, atmosphere and all the activities. And one of the things I saw this year that was really outstanding, and, and I've seen this before, but this year was exceptional in both places, both in Canada and in Kentucky, was the amount of work that people were involved with, the, the total, absolutely total cooperation among people of different groups from different churches with different administration backgrounds. And the kindness, 
and the concern and the the excitement that there was for everything that was going on. I, I, I have witnessed this the last couple of years, but this year was was truly exceptional. Uh, even even up in Canada, it was that way. There just there just couldn't have been any better atmosphere. And so when you try to put together a sermon topic after the feast, it's like I said, it's a tough act to follow. It's an afterthought, and and you've heard sermon after sermon, and uh, <clears throat> you know I've. I've given four sermons already since Trumpets, different sermons, but I can't use any of those because they were always for a specific purpose. So I had to come up with another one. So I came up with one that I thought would probably help all of us, regardless of age, regardless of education, regardless of how long you've been in the church, something that's going to be very timely and I think very helpful, and it's something that the body of Christ needs daily. And it's not something that's new, not something that's out of the ordinary, but it's something that we're very familiar with and we struggle with every day. And that is Christian love. Something that's definitely needed and something that's definitely important. When I was on the, going through the airports, I had plenty of time to do whatever I needed to do. Um, it took me 15 hours to get to Canada on Saturday and then 12 hours to get back to land between the lakes from Canada. Uh, and when it seemed like everything could go wrong, it did. You know, we were we were on the plane in Toronto getting ready to leave for Nashville, and lo and behold, uh, the pilot says, well, we're going to have to disembark and take all the luggage off. This plane was not checked out properly. <laughs> so I've been reading a book while I'm on the plane to kind of kill time. Well, they didn't take us off. They left us there for 45 minutes while they checked it. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's something you want to make sure is done properly. And um, I've been reading a book that I'd read before, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And it's a very, very interesting book. It's not something everybody would want to read, but he was a a Jewish psychologist during World War II that went through four different concentration camps, including Auschwitz. Uh, He lost his parents, his brother, his wife, who was pregnant, and numerous friends. Uh, The book is very graphic on the concentration camps and what they went through. But in the end of the book, he tries to put together one sentence to describe his act of what he was able to understand and learn going through the concentration camps about life. Because we understand that we have to suffer being physical. We just do from time to time. And what we have to learn to do is to, to have some kind of understanding about why we're having this and what we need to do in spite of it. And the the quote he came up with at the end of the book was something that applies to us as Christians. He said, the meaning of your life is to help others find the meaning of theirs. And that is exactly what we try to do as Christians with the Word of God and helping other people find out and understand the meaning of their life. And that's, that's not easy to do. People have all sorts of problems, as you well know, and they want answers, they want help. And we not only try to help people understand God's Word and understand about life and understand about what's available to us and what we should be doing with life, but we also try to help people act. And by that I mean do something with what they know and understand. And so when you look at all that has taken place within our lives and you look at a topic that is extremely important, Christian love is extremely important. And the depths of that, I think, are something that we're going to have a very difficult time even trying to understand as life goes on. I hope we can get better at it, 
But to understand that the depth of love is is very difficult to do. And, it's, and love is more than just an emotional feeling. Love is, is a way of life for you and for me as Christians and what we need to be doing. And I think that is best probably described in, in the first scripture that we need to never forget that, that we are very familiar with is John chapter 13 and verse 34 and 35 where Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you to love one another as I have loved you. And he said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. To, to love one another the way that Jesus loves each of us is what you would call almost an impossible task because we're constantly working at it. We are daily struggling with it to try to do it, to try to reach that point in our lives. And to understand and to think about what Jesus did when he gave his life for each of us and we're not talking about just Christians. We're talking about people who were guilty of killing Jesus Christ. He loved them too. He gave his life for them as well. And the depth of that love is something that we struggle with in trying to comprehend and, and really understand. But it's, it's a type of love that we need to have and we, we must have. And you know how easy it is to love somebody that you disagree with and don't like. Really simple, isn't it? Yeah, we all go through that. We, we, we have people that we hang around and, and we hang out with, we, we spend time with because we like them, they're good friends. You think alike for the most part. You have similar interests, similar abilities, maybe an educational background. And then there are those that you have to deal with from day to day, whether it be in, in your employment or whether it be neighbors or whatever, that just drive you crazy. They really do. You, you can't stand to be around them. And every time you get around them, you get in a bad attitude. And you have, to, you have to, to deal with that. But yet, you see, Jesus loved all of mankind. And so the goal for us, the example for us is in Scripture. And his example, you know, could we have done what he did when he was having the nails driven into his hand? You know, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's tough. That's tough. And yet the depth of that love is something that we have to achieve and I think one of the things I saw this year at, at the Feast of Tabernacles in both these locations was the love that people had for one another, the, the cooperation and kindness and consideration who were from different groups, which takes a little bit of getting used to after a few years of this because most people think, well, I'm of this group and I'm of that group. This year there was not even any concern about it. They didn't care. They just wanted to be together as God's people with the Holy Spirit. And I think that's something that, that I, I noticed this year more than the last few years where we are finally beginning to to kick the dust and rust off of things and, and make some changes. And I made the comment to somebody at the feast and here today that one thing I've noticed is the young people that are under 40 years of old don't have some of the same hang-ups that we have from the past. They've been able to, to assimilate within to this without the problems and the hang-ups that we've had over the years. And they just want to be together with friends with companions and you know we've we've in the past said well I'm from this group or I'm from that group this year that didn't even hardly come up at all until uh, even at the very end when somebody said well by the way I don't I'm not part of the you know CGI I'm part of United and we're from this town or that town and we're just so glad to be here and um, that's something I've been looking for and been wanting to, to see happen for for several years so it's extremely encouraging 
But that, the concept of what Jesus gave us, to love one another as he loved us. And that is a lifelong commitment and responsibility for us to learn and to try to develop and to have as a part of our life. And we can do that. We can, we can do it gradually with the help of God's Spirit. It's not going to happen overnight. But as you know, the Holy Spirit can help us to do all things. And I can't help but think back about the New Testament church. The Jews having their way of life and then the Gentiles being granted the Holy Spirit coming into the church. What an uproar that must have been. What a wonderful time that must have been with, with the, the miracles that took place with receiving the Holy Spirit. But what a cultural difference that was with Jews and pagans coming together. You think that wasn't a struggle? They think that wasn't hard to do? Yes, it was. We've got some examples of that. I'll mention that here again in, the, in a little bit later. <clears throat> but keep this in mind, the, the, the responsibility we have as not just an emotion for people, but as a way of life towards people. And not just people within the body of Christ, but people within the world as well. Because, you see, Jesus died for them just like he died for you and me, whom he has called. And that, that is a, a truly deep concept to try to have as a part of our life. It takes work. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want to just read through some scriptures in there. There's so much in that chapter. When you, when you look at chapter 12, and Paul, as you know in the, in the New Testament and in the Bible, the chapters were not there originally. But chapter 12 has to do with spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 has to do with the importance of spiritual gifts and how that, that uh, all these spiritual gifts are important. They need each other. They're for a purpose. They're hopefully going to be in a position to where the church will work together in perfect harmony, that there will be the body of Christ can operate with unity with all of these spiritual gifts. And he talks about all these gifts here and how important they are and how necessary they are, how needed they are. But it's, it's for a reason. So that, that the, it says in verse 25 in 1 Corinthians 12, that there should be no schism within the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And in talking about the importance of gifts and what they are, he tries to help us to understand the necessary need to work together with all of these things because one is not more important than another, as you well know. You know, I think sometimes when we look at the church, and I say the church down through history, not just today, but, but in the past, you look and people want to see a church, even going back to the time of the Israelites and their being called, they, they look at a, a group or a body and they have this ideal of, the perfect church. When was it perfect? I think that's an ideal that has never existed. The church has never been perfect. Probably the most perfect time for the church would have been, and I think most of you will agree with this, will be at Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, when the church came together to receive the Holy Spirit. It was 120 people. At that particular time, they were expecting something, and they had four things that were so important to them as far as the body of Christ. One was they had unity. And you read about that in Acts 1 and 2. They had unif a unified spirit, a unified body, because Christ told them to be there on Pentecost for a purpose. And that 10-day span they had from the time that Jesus was taken up and the 10 days until Pentecost, who knows what was going through their mind. 
But I guarantee you they were elated to the point where they were expecting something because of what Jesus had told them. They had unity. They were a church that had prayer. They were a church that had fellowship with one another. And finally, they had the Holy Spirit after the day of Pentecost. And you read about that in the end of chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2. That, that was probably the most ideal state that the church has ever had down through history. Where it was a time of peace and a time of unity. And it changed very quickly, didn't it? When the Gentiles came into the church. I would imagine that we would have been shocked at some of the things that had taken place back then. Simply because, you know, they weren't perfect people. Yeah, they had the Holy Spirit, but the cultural impact, you know, was, was devastating for the New Testament church. And you read about that in the first part of Acts. So they had their difficulties and their struggles as well. And Paul writes chapter 13 to the Corinthians, and he talks about love, the spectrum of love, and what it's all about. And I just want to read this chapter and take a few minutes and go through it and have us think about it and what it all involves. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And he's referring to the, the gifts that he's been talking about up here in chapter 12 and the importance of those gifts to the church. He says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains and have not love, I am nothing. So you see where he's leading with this, with the importance of it and how much of an impact it needs to make in our lives. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. So you can go to great lengths and have great works and accomplish great things. But if you don't have love, the love that Jesus was talking about, loving one another as he loved us, then what good is it? What have we accomplished? It says in verse 4, Charity suffers long and is kind. It's hard for us sometimes to put up with people that are problems, isn't it? We just can't, can't deal with it very long. I'm an impatient person. I'll just be honest with you. I, I'm a man that has very little patience. I get so frustrated sometimes because being in business for the number of years I was, I, I take problems and correct them and deal with them and, and conclude them, get them over with. I don't like them lingering. Sometimes in life you can't do that. It, it, it takes time to change things and to correct things. Um, you know, to be successful in business, you have to be able to fix problems and solve them and make people happy. It's not easy to do sometimes, but that's what you're supposed to do. But your personal life is, is the same way. And we put up with ourselves, I guess, more than anything because, you know, well, we've got excuses. You know, well, I didn't, you know, I forgot to do this or do that. I'll do that next week. Um, we don't like to put up with other people, but we sure put up with ourselves sometimes because we're lazy sometimes. That happens. Charity envies not. Charity vaunts not itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. Seeks not her own. Is not easily provoked and thinks no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believe all things. Hopes all things. It endures all things. Charity never fails. It's always going to survive. You know, we take great lengths in trying to, to look at people and we, we become very impatient with them. And, and I know as I was 
as I've heard over the years, and this goes back to even when I was growing up, um, where people wanted people in the church to be perfect all the time when you were around them. And I remember a couple times there were some things that, that had taken place and happened, and, and uh, a couple of people said, I knew so-and-so was going to make this sin. I knew he was going to do it. So I just knew what kind of person he was. And they like to point things out. They like, like to, to spill the beans on people. You know, and, and yes, it says here that uh, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. You know, we, we come up with all sorts of things of what we would like to see happen to people and, and like to point out their mistakes. And yet, you know, when you go back and look at the way Jesus' attitude was when the woman was taken in adultery, uh, if we'd have been there, we'd have been one of the first to throw the stone, wouldn't we? We, we just would. And yet Jesus, of all things was not expected to do and have the reaction that he did. And when the lady was brought to him in adultery, he said, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. You know, that is, a, is an expression and an act of love that, that I think all of us would, would have a hard time dealing with, simply because that's not the way we, we, it is for us. You know, these, these items here listed that Paul talks about are, are disciplines. They're, they're mental tools that we need to have. They're abilities for us to change the way we are and to become more like Christ, more like God. What does it say? And I think it's First John, God is love. Well, God is love. He, he's more than just an emotional feeling. God is, is consistent in his character and his way of life, if you will, just like Jesus was. And so that is the, the goal that we have to have. That is is the drive that we must have as people. You know, one of the things I've been reading here recently about young people, and it's come up in several different places, where they say, do young people have any goals anymore in life? Do, the, do young people think about living, living longer? In fact, what triggered this thought was a few days ago, somebody said that some young people had asked him how, how he had lived so long and did he enjoy living so long. I think he was in his late 80s. Forget the circumstances now, but uh, a bunch of young people said they just couldn't imagine living that long. Did they really? They just couldn't understand that. And so I don't know about young people. Maybe it maybe it's because there's so much going on right now that they're so involved with things that they don't think about the future. I wonder sometimes. I wonder about that. But nevertheless, it's something we have to deal with. These are these are mental tools. These are mental disciplines that we need to have and acquire. And have as a part of our life. They're not. They're they're more than just love of heart and mind, but our inner being. They're a mind of our our soul and of our character. That's that's the type of love that we need to have. And possibly what we need to do is, as Christians, sometime is is um, you know have the these expressions of love and and the way of life that we need to have is to pick one a week and work on it. That's takes some practice. That takes some thought. We have the Ten Commandments over here on the wall, and we see those all the time. Maybe we need to have, you know, the expressions of what love is all about and, and pick something and work on it, you know, week in and week out. Because it's something we all need to think about. Charity never fails, but where there be prophecies, and going again, talking about the gifts of chapter 12, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. You know, when, when God's kingdom comes, 
when God, when God sets up his kingdom, will there be a need for prophecies and speaking in tongues and mysteries? Probably not. That's all going to vanish and pass away. But what about love? Love is going to be there because love is an expression that God has given to us that we need to be practicing and have as a part of our life. He says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child, but as I, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. He says, for we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am now and am known. And now by its faith, hope, and charity, and of the greatest of these, of course, it is love. And it's a, it's a way of life. You know, love does not seek attention, as Paul was talking about. It does not brag. It does not inflate itself. It does not trample on. And boy, do we not witness what love is not in society today with people trampling on somebody else's character and trying to, to dissect them and pull them apart. It's not selfish. It doesn't try to stir up trouble. It, try to keep, it tries to keep things on track. It tries to keep things in perspective. It's not joyful at somebody else's sins and mistakes. And we see that all too often, as is evident today, unfortunately. It seeks truth. You know, an expression of, of love is seeking truth. And if somebody is not trying to seek the truth and trying to create problems and division, then... You know, it's obviously not what God wants. We need to understand what God is like. We need to understand that his character is something that is evident for us through Jesus Christ. And that love is something that should be a part of us week in and week out. Regardless of the circumstances we're in. Regardless of the suffering that we may have to go through. That, that book, the... Uh, um, Man's search for meaning and some of the things they went through in the concentration camp, the, the concern and the love that, that a few of the people had for one another was, was amazing. And the, the depth of, of, of survival was unbelievable with what was mentioned in the book. Like I said, it's not for everybody. But when people realized that all they had left was, was each other and knowing who God was, that's... You know, that's what kept them going and helped them. You know, one of the things that we have to understand in, in, when groups are together is that the changes that take place within our lives and, and the things that are, are different maybe today than they were, you know, a few years ago. One of the things that I've held on to was something that Wynn said back in the spring, I think, when he said tradition is not doctrine. <clears throat> and that's something that we really and truly need to think about as as a new generation passes and another generation comes along because you have you have changes you have differences in thoughts you know when you we we've gone through this before but when you change you know the the format of services a little bit uh it, it disrupts people's lives they can't deal with it and yet um you know the the old analogy of what we've had years ago was you know three songs a, ser a prayer sermonette announcements and, you know, the sermon and then closing hymn or whatever. When you change some of these things up, it disrupts people's lives and they, they just are, are furious about it. But yet, if you go back to the New Testament church, there's nothing in Scripture that tells us how we have to have services. In Canada, I hadn't experienced this before, they had two closing hymns, closing prayer, and then announcements afterwards. 
It's a very interesting group up there. A lot of them are, are Jamaicans, and they have a different culture in the way of doing things. It was great, but it was just something I wasn't familiar with, wasn't used to. But you see, you can still have love for people, and you can still interact with people, even though you have the slightest changes. You know, one of the items that we had at the last Holy Day, and the last Holy Day was interesting, believe me. I gave the closing sermon. Services normally run from 11 to 12.30. I didn't even take the stage till 20 to 1. <laughs> it, it, was, it was interesting. I edited my sermon down to about 30 minutes. But it, it was some mechanical problems for about 15 minutes and songs and special music. The offertory message went 25 minutes. Um, it was just one, one thing after another. And, and, and I get up there on stage. I hope, and thankfully, people were, were understanding. But it was 20 to 1. We should have been had left 10 minutes ago. And here I'm up there with the final sermon. So anyway, I, I edited it down to 30 minutes as I went, and uh, it worked out well. But, but one of the things we had that took up a little time was we had at least five minutes of it anyway. We had some um, videos of the winter weekend coming up and an advertisement for it, which is coming up in December. And, and several of you have been there and have experienced that. But one of the things I've thought about over the years with the winter family weekend and the success of it is the young people... They don't care what church they come from. They just want to be together as a group, as young people, to interact with one another and to have fun and to have a good time. They don't have that boundary dimensions that so many of us do. However, I think that is disappearing. But the Winter, the winter Family Weekend is one of those items and one of those get-togethers throughout the year that is a good example of that. And I think it's something that we need to learn from the young people as older people would help us to be able to do that and to change some things is to experience life the way that they do. Anyway, we need to, to realize that love, which is about the life of the church, it's about living together and becoming like the image of God. And that is where we are headed. That is what our goal is, and that's what's so important for each of us. You know, when you look at, like I mentioned, the New Testament church and, and the, the love and, and everything that they had at the very beginning and then the problems that developed with the Gentile group because of the, the clash of cultures as people came into the church, I think God sometimes has a sense of humor because he didn't solve the problem overnight, did he? He pretty much, by his hands-off approach, just said, basically, work it out with the Holy Spirit. And it took a long time to do that. They had problems. I'm not sure it ever got worked out completely. Even Paul and Peter came head to head because they disagreed over things. And Paul had to instruct Peter and tell him that you're wrong in the way you're handling the situation. You know the story of that. But what about today? I heard it today. I heard it at the feast. Some people that were Baptists came to the feast from a different religion because they wanted to learn. Now, they weren't keeping the Sabbath necessarily. In holy days, they were still Baptist, but they wanted to come and experience the feast because they felt it was important. How do we treat them? You know, in the past, I've heard them say, well, I don't know why they're here. They're not part of the body of Christ. Well, but if they're there to learn, if, if God is calling them, then maybe, maybe we need to think twice about that. So times may be changing, and we may, we may be seeing more of this 
as we go along. Romans chapter 12, just a couple more scriptures. Romans chapter 12. I know that, that um, you know, there are people from all faiths out there, and yet God is not just going to call people who are Christians in another group, is he? You know, what if God was to call people with Eastern religions or people that are of the Islamic faith, which has happened and they've converted to, to believing in Christ? You know, how, how do we accept something like that? You know, can we, can we allow them to be a part of the body of Christ because they're on the way to learning? Sure, they, sure we can. See, God is patient. You know, we've, we've had this idea and this approach in the past where we, we feel somebody needs to be perfect next week. And yet that doesn't happen because we're not perfect, are we? We're still trying to deal with things in life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. You see, we have we left the world, so to speak, even though we were still in it. We went to the feast. We were kind of isolated as a group. And now we come back to the world and we have to live in the world as, as usual. And we have to make sure that we continue to, to transform ourselves. That we sacrifice some things in life because we have to make changes in what we do and the way we live. And, um, you know, we see a society, we see a world, we see our nation that is, is moving away from God and does not want God as a part of our lives and we, we understand what Paul said in Romans 1 about how the truth of God was, was turned and changed into a lie. And that's still going on today. And so we have to be very careful of how we do things and how we live and how we walk and still be different. And we have to put up with a lot of heat from people and a lot of discontent from people because we're trying to be different. You know, the, the world's way is evident today and trying to destroy, trying to tear down, trying to pull apart, and trying to, to preach truth, which are really lies. You know, anything and everything is, is great. It's wonderful because God is love. Yeah, that's something that you and I understand is not true. Yeah, God is love. But as Jesus said, go and sin no more. And there's a balance there. We have to love people in spite of their weaknesses, in spite of their shortcomings, in spite of their sins. We have to understand that Christ loved them, and we have to love them a certain way. But we also need to be up front with them, tell them, as Jesus did, there are things that need to be changed. You know, a living sacrifice, that's something I read a few months ago, and I, it has stuck with me, you know. And I don't know who said this or where it came from, but they said living sacrifices can always crawl off the altar. That's true. You know, as a sacrifice, if you're still alive, you can crawl off and quit anytime you want. Something we need to think about. Because we have a lifelong commitment to that. You know, the Sabbath day is a day that points people to God. And we, we try on the Sabbath to point people to God and to direct them in the right direction and to help them to come to see, see things. Um, and yet in the world, you know, we have a, a, an example of what the idea and the atmosphere is of trying to pull people the other direction. 
we talk, tell people about Christ-centered love based on God's Word and what it's all about, and the world is teaching self-centered love. And I don't know whether it's, it's more evident today with the, the iPhones and the self-interest and people wanting to be on Facebook and selfies and all this. Um, maybe I'm too old for that. I don't know. I'm just, that just doesn't interest me that much. But these young people are so caught up in it. And I think it has an effect on their lives. I really do. You know, drawing attention to themselves. Now, the one thing that's always bothered me about, about sports, and now it's not so much basketball or baseball, but the one thing that, that bothers me, I think, and it's mostly evident in, in football, is when somebody scores a touchdown, you know, it's all about me. You know, what I just did and, you know, pointing their hands to the, the sky and how great they are. That's, that really irritates me because, um, you know, when I was growing up and playing baseball, if I hit a home run or whatever, it's just you just round the bases and do your job. That's not trying to draw that attention to yourself. But it's a totally different world today, and it, it's, it keeps getting worse. Um, love is not about the self. Love is about changing the self to become like God, who is love. And that's what we're working towards. Romans chapter 13, just across the page here in verse 8. Paul says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loves another hath fulfilled the law. The depth of that love, like Jesus Christ loved, is the fulfilling of the law, because that's what it's all about. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love works no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So that's a big responsibility we have. That's something that we are going to always be struggling with and always be working towards. And it takes time. It takes effort. It takes daily effort to be able to reach that point and to be able to have that part of love as a part of your character. You know, the New Testament church was a diverse body that needed to sort out their issues of faith and culture, and it was not easy. And we have nothing compared to what they had, I think, today. We just need to, to put it to work and put it in practice in our lives. So if I can leave you with, with one thought to remember after all the sermons you've heard at the feast, and you may have even heard some that dealt with love, but I, if I can leave you with one thing, just remember that Jesus said he left a new commandment to us, that we need to love one another as he has loved us. And by that is what is going to cause people to notice that we are his disciples if we have love for one for another. And it's that depth of love that Jesus Christ had for us which illustrates the character of God in our lives. So if we remember nothing else from all of this, just remember that this is something we need to do and we need to live by it.